Cause we got the alternative energy right. free autonomy And welcome to the Radioactive Show Produced at the studios of 3CR Melbourne And heard nationally on the Community Radio Network Hello and welcome to the Radioactive Show I'm Michaela and today Crunch and I will be speaking with two special guests The Australian Director of the International Campaign to Abolish Nuclear Weapons Jem Rommeld will be joining us to talk about what's been happening with the campaign Since the UN Nuclear Weapons Ban Treaty entered into force on 22nd of January this year in the second half of the show, we'll be speaking with Guga Thamula, Senior Representative and President of the Australian Nuclear Free Alliance, Sue Coleman-Hasseldean, about the Kunaba rocket testing range, and we'll be getting an update on that campaign also. First up, Jem Rommeld. Good morning, Jem. Good to hear from you. Yes, thanks for having me on the show again. Um, and we are, I guess interested in particular about what has happened after the exciting the ratification of the treaty on the ban of nuclear weapons in January Um, most listeners are aware of that ratification but could you tell us a little about what the ratification meant and for what it's meant going forward particularly for countries who've actually signed on to the treaty has that are they taking steps is there action happening Yeah, sure. So to step back a tiny bit in time, um, in 2017, the Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons was negotiated and finalised at the UN, and then it was open for signature. And part of the treaty said that uh, once once there are 50 countries that ratify the treaty, then it will enter into force and become permanent international law. So it's often a two-step process for most countries uh, with international treaties. They'll sign and ratify. Signing means uh, it's like a statement to say that you agree with the treaty, you you agree to be bound by it once you ratify. And ratification means that you've gone through all of your domestic laws, you've done what you need to do to make sure your country is in compliance with the treaty um, and that you agree to be bound by it and accountable to the other states' parties. So since the treaty was created, uh, countries have been signing and ratifying uh, steadily over the last few years, and uh, we reached the 50th ratification in October 2020. Mm. So it was quite exciting that even despite a global pandemic, this treaty was still progressing and, and uh, countries were still um, keeping this as one of their, one of their um, priorities to, to advance this which meant that in January the treaty entered into force officially. So um, that means that it is binding on all of the countries that have ratified. Um, To date, there are 86 that have signed and 54 that have ratified. Okay. Yeah, that's that's helpful actually. So it's the ratification that was just when it reached 50 countries – um, because that was inbuilt as a part of the treaty. So when those – could you give us an example of a country that has signed and ratified and what – like what kinds of changes it has made in its domestic laws or what's that me- what that has meant? Mm, yeah, so there are quite a number of provisions within the treaty. There are a host of things that you can't do and then a host of things that you must do. So in the category of can't do – 
Um, you cannot basically do anything to do with nuclear weapons. You can't possess them, produce them, host another country's nuclear weapons. You can't uh, threaten to use them, use them, stockpile them, receive control of them. Um, you can't uh, assist, induce or encourage anyone to engage in any of those activities. And in the category of things that a country must do, um, you have to make sure that you have a safeguards agreement in force with the International Atomic Energy Agency. Uh, you have to declare uh, your nuclear weapon status. You have to uh, encourage other countries to ratify the treaty. Uh, you have to, and this is quite groundbreaking in international law, but there are actually positive obligations to um, address the needs of victims of nuclear testing and use and to take steps to remediate impacted environments from nuclear weapons use and testing as well. So this, these provisions are particularly significant for um, countries that have experienced testing, like in the Pacific, for Australia, Kazakhstan, the US. Um, and we'll, you know, we'll see those provisions play out in the years to come. So for countries that have ratified, and in our region, we can give the example of our neighbour, um, Aotearoa, New Zealand, um, so they went through the process to make sure that um, their domestic legislation was in line and they didn't actually have to change very much because they already had um, a clear nuclear weapons free policy that they were, and they were pretty much already in line with the treaty. Um, mm -hmm. But they, they do have to comply with the other positive obligations. For many countries, it's, they've had to hand in their declarations about their nuclear weapons status um, and they're preparing for the first meeting of states' parties, which is triggered by the treaty to be within one year of entry into force. So that means the first meeting of all of the states' parties and signatories will, will happen um, within one year of the 22nd of January. So that will be in Austria. Uh, it'll be a UN meeting hosted by the Austrian government. I think it'll be a, maybe a three-day meeting and um, the president of the meeting has already been selected and they've had their uh, first couple of preparatory discussions uh, with signatories and states parties to, to look at the agenda um, for that meeting and, and how to proceed with the organising of it and the format, et cetera. Mm. Thanks, Jem. That's a really comprehensive explanation. Um, <laughs> I'm... I mean, a question comes in my mind about um, these countries who are ratifying. Do they have any responsibility or is there any um, monitoring of, I guess, corporations that maybe um, have connections to those countries um, or manufacturing? I guess it's thinking mm. about the whole military-industrial complex and then how these chains of what ends up in some way supporting nuclear weapons, let alone mm. other types. Um, yeah, does the treaty encompass any of uh, that type of activity? Yeah, so this is a really good question and um, the you're making me think of um, the particular provision in the treaty in Article 1E that says you can't assist, in, encourage or induce a country or anyone to engage in any of the prohibited activities. So um, during the negotiations of the treaty, there was a discussion about whether to include the word financing, so to have a specific prohibition on financing nuclear weapons. And the negotiators decided that financing was covered by the provisions in 1E, assisting, inducing or, or encouraging. 
so therefore it would be um, illegal under the treaty to assist with the production of nuclear weapons. So that would mean for a country like Australia, so when we ratify, it would be pretty clear that any Australian government funds wouldn't be able to have investments in nuclear arms producers. But what it means for the rest of the sector will be dependent on how each country ratifies. So countries do make their own um, legal analysis and they do um, make their own decisions on exactly how to interpret that um, provision. And then, of course, that will be discussed among states' parties and I'm sure this will be a topic at the first meeting in January. Mm. But there isn't like a blanket prohibition on any company within your jurisdiction um, you know, financing these these companies. So it wouldn't mean that any company in Australia necessarily would have to close up shop if they're involved in nuclear weapons in any way. Mm. Um, so, but however, the fact that there is now a, pro- a international treaty that is in force that makes nuclear weapons illegal, along with the other weapons of mass destruction, we know that that has a massive impact on how the weapon is viewed and whether these investments or or activities are considered legitimate. And we've already seen um, quite a bit of divestment um, of financial institutions from nuclear weapons producers since the treaty was negotiated. So a few um, major funds in Europe have done this. In Japan, there have been 16 banks, including three megabanks. The Norwegian government pension fund, which is the largest um, sovereign wealth fund in the world, um, the the Dutch fund uh, ABP have divested. Um, so we're seeing an increasing level of funds getting out of these weapons because of the reputational risk to um, to their you know their image. And this is something that we're looking at in Australia as well. So um, a lot of financial institutions say that they will exclude controversial weapons. Um, and this you know this tells us how effective the bans on cluster munitions, landmines, biological and chemical weapons, how effective they've been, because they've become this class of weapons, controversial weapons, that are considered, you know, beyond the pale, illegitimate, things that you just shouldn't fund. So one thing that we're working on and that many of our colleagues around the world are working on is to have nuclear weapons included in that bucket, in that controversial weapons bucket, because, you know, they are the most destructive weapon invented if they are not controversial, then what are they? Yeah. So this is something that we're we're trying to see movement in the Superfund sector, especially in Australia, um, and we're talking to regulators and index setters um, for them to change their definitions of controversial weapons to include nuclear weapons mm. in that. Mm. Yeah, that sounds, yeah, so fantastic. And, yeah, I guess especially important um, to to spread that word about the Nuclear Weapons Ban Treaty at this time when we see countries like the UK, Boris Johnson just announced um, that they're raising the cap that they have on nuclear weapons and increasing their arsenal. And for the nuclear weapon states, how are they responding to the treaty or are they just willfully ignoring it at this point? Mm-mm. They're mostly trying to either um, criticise it and uh lay down its influence uh, and ignore it. So they're making up reasons why they won't sign the treaty as if the treaty itself is defective when we know 
that in fact they are just holding on to uh, their, you know, self-given right to indefinitely um, hang on to these weapons, even though most of them, so five out of the nine nuclear we- nuclear armed states, have uh, signed and ratified the Non-Proliferation Treaty, which is a 50-year-old treaty. So the UK, um, as you point out, Michaela, it's outrageous that they're actually increasing their stockpiles by 40% and spending, you know, around 10 billion pounds when they can't afford to give a pay rise to the nurses that are getting us out of the actual threat of the pandemic. At the same time, they're funneling 10 billion pounds into increasing their nuclear stockpile in a very clear and direct breach of the non-proliferation treaty. So it's quite ridiculous and there should be outrage from... um, Well, there is outrage from the UK civil society, from the opposition... The Australian government should be calling Boris Johnson to account and accusing him and calling him to stop undermining the non-proliferation treaty because that's the treaty that the that the Australian government um, is is a part of and says is the you know the centre of its efforts. So we're seeing this hypocrisy um, play out where if another country was increasing its stockpile by this extent, then there would be all held to pay. It would be. Um, there would be all sorts of tr- triggers and strings pulled to, to pull them into line, all sorts of sanctions. Um, so we should be really outraged about this. But besides the UK, um, most of the nuclear armed states, you know, they're, they're trying to resist the normative force of this treaty and, and they know that it's going to impact them. Um, we know that this is the case because they have fought so hard to, to shut down the process that led to the treaty um, to prevent countries from from ratifying, to try to prevent it from entering into force, and we hear, you know, we hear evidence from different countries of the kinds of pressure that they're under, um, and we're sure that Australia is part of that category, um, in that the US doesn't want Australia to sign and ratify this treaty because it prefers us to remain as we are, which is currently part of the problem in endorsing the use of nuclear weapons by the US on our behalf. That's something that's in our defence policy um, that has to change. And that's something that the treaty compels countries uh, to do, to say, no, we don't accept uh, nuclear weapons as any form of legitimate defence and we won't have them in our defence policies. So that's the change that Australia needs to make. Um, And when we do ratify the treaty, that will be incredibly influential and that will... Um, guide the way for other countries that are in military alliances with nuclear armed states to do the same and to say, look, we'll continue to cooperate with you, but not we won't have anything to do with the nuclear weapons part of that. So um, this is the distinction that Australia has made in the past with other kinds of weapons when the US has uh, disagreed and has not joined the landmine treaty, for example, and Australia has, um, and we've detached that part of our military cooperation and um, the alliance has continued. So mm. it's we're at the beginning of this journey. The treaty is very young. Um, where you know we're dealing with an entrenched view of nuclear weapons that's been around for seventy five years now. And there's been a lot of work done by governments, by um, think tanks, defense institutions to cement the idea of nuclear deterrence in our minds. and Part of what this treaty represents is a paradigm shift that has to happen not just in the policies of nuclear armed states, but in the minds of of people all around the world. And 
it's you know it's only upwards from here it's a big challenge but it's it's underway yeah i noticed um that you say when when australia ratifies the treaty and i like that positivity um <laughs> just perhaps briefly for our our last for as we wrap up um where what are the pivot points with the work to get australia to sign on and ratify this treaty um are there things that listeners can get behind, um, follow up on? Yeah, yep, there's lots of work being done in Australia um, at the federal government level, state and territory government level, with local councils, with civil society, um, with regular people uh, learning about this treaty, coming to understand why it's so significant and doing what they can to um, to raise awareness of it and to, to push Australia to ratify we have lots of good ingredients. So there's um, about 88 partner organisations of ICANN in Australia. So these are organisations that are all sort of participating however they can to to get Australia to join. Um, the Red Cross is a big supporter and they, um, they've they called very clearly on Australia to join the Australian Medical Association and a host of other um, medical and public health groups and that's work led by um, MAPW, the Medical Association for Prevention of War. They've done a lot of work on this. There are about two dozen unions um, there are that support the treaty and call on Australia to join it. There are now 34 local councils that have um, declared their support for the treaty, called on Australia to join it. Um, there are over 200 parliamentarians at the state, territory and federal level there's a parliamentary friends of the Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons group in federal parliament with uh, 23 members from across the political spectrum um, that just uh, launched last year and they recently had an event at Parliament House. And the Labor Party has had a policy since 2018 that in government they will sign and ratify this treaty. That policy was just reaffirmed at their platform conference a couple of weeks ago, so that's really significant. Um, and really excellent. The current federal government has decided not to sign the treaty at this point in time. Um, you know, that's not a final decision forever. No, government, no decision a government makes is final forever. Mm. Um, that's their position now, but we're working on increasing support within the coalition, and that's something that um, listeners can definitely help with because a lot, of, a lot of federal members, they don't actually know that much about the treaty um, so it's really helpful for constituents to actually meet with them and educate them. Excellent. Um, well, we mm. will direct people to your website and places to go to get involved in that civilian part of putting the pressure on. And it sounds hopeful, like there's many, many points of organising and pressure and sidestepping the current federal government to eventually um, have Australia sign on. Yeah, so yeah, thank you for all that excellent work and updates. Um Great to have you back on the show yes. again, Gem. Congratulations yes. and thanks for all the incredible work of ICANN. Oh, thanks so much for having me on the Radioactive Show. It's such an important broadcast every week and, and thanks for, for your presentation, Michaela and Crunch. Our pleasure. Okay, speak to you soon. <laughs> bye. Okay, bye-bye. And we were speaking there with Jem Rommeld, the Australian Director of the International Campaign to Abolish Nuclear Weapons. 
You're listening to The Radioactive Show, produced in the studios of 3CR on the unceded lands of the Kulin Nation and broadcast nationally thanks to the Community Radio Network. We are joined now by Sue Coleman-Hasseldine, Gugatha Muller uh, representative, and we're speaking to her from Sejuna. Auntie Sue, it's wonderful to have you on The Radioactive Show. And we just saw the recent news that the company Southern Launch have, have been approved now uh, for the uh, what they're calling civilian rocket launch uh, facility at, at Coonabar. The industry minister, Karen Andrews, had just announced that approval. Uh, tell me what's happening for you there on the ground. Well, I don't know why they're calling it a community rocket centre. I mean, Defence is involved with them too. So, you know, what's happening here is I don't know when they're going to send their rockets off. I'll just continue going out on country, whether, you know, they're there or not. It's part of my life, and I don't intend to give it up just because somebody wants to make millions out of country and kill animals um, and also, you know, our culture. Um, at the moment, we're doing a, um, a doco called Native Title Rockets, The Right to Say No, we don't have any rights to say no, only the right to negotiate with miners and big companies and whatever. But we have to say no to protect what we believe in. Yes, absolutely. Uh, it's just so vital. And um, what has been, have you been involved with any uh, conversations with the company or decision makers on this? No, I have not. But you know, I guess they don't want to talk to me because they already know how I feel about the land and our culture and the rights of our animals, and they already know that. So they they don't want to talk to me and they don't want to hear it from me, I guess. Mm. But the right to say no is a big right for us. And, we, we you know, we can say no, we can protect animals. They can't talk for themselves. They're just going to die and... Who's going to care? Like, not certainly not the rocket launchers. Mm. And it seems they're calling it this, yeah, so community space centre and a civilian rocket um, launch. But um, I think it seems a bit misleading to suggest that this research and rockets won't be in any way connected to uh, military or research that will inform... Um, Warfare, in other words. Yes, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think that is misleading. Um, why would you want to send rockets? Why would they want to start a new rocket range for a start? They've got Woomera. Mm. You know, they've got Woomera protected area. Why do they want another one? <laughs> the mind boggles just to think about these people and where, where they're coming from. But ho hopefully with the Australia Foundation native title rockets.com we can get word out further even than our little group because people aren't listening they get sucked in all the time mm. what? And, and our mob don't have any money so they're easily conned because mm, what are they offering are they are they offering mm. services or things to the community that are i don't know what they're actually offering to the community but they were bragging it up about how they trained up Aboriginal people to direct traffic in Kuniba, Sejuna. We don't even have red lights. 
there's, there's not a need for that kind of thing. So, you know, that I think they're just ridiculing the Aboriginal people by even training them for that. Yeah, that's appalling to hear. And, yeah, I think, um, yeah, talking about that uh, issue of getting getting the word out there to people because, uh, you know, the federal government has put is putting right now a huge amount of money into uh, promoting South Australia as being this great opportunity for developing aerospace engineering and all this cyber warfare technology. I don't think that... that that promotion is, is very good because that what they're really doing is wrecking the state. Mm. That They're not thinking of the tourism that could go, happen here, you know, and this southern launch mob, they're going to fire off into the Great Australian Bight too, you mm. know. And we just finished fighting that one with the drilling, oil drilling, and now this mob come on board. It's like it's never-ending. Yeah, we will get you back on again soon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what would you want people to be doing now to uh, get the word out about this? Stand up, stand up and say enough is enough, no more. We need our culture, we need our country, we need our animals. Enough, no more. Stand up and speak. Thank you so much, Andy Sue, for joining us on the Radioactive Show today. That brings us to the end of today's radioactive show. Thanks so much to Annie Sue and to Jem for joining us on the show today. If you'd like to find out more about the international campaign to abolish nuclear weapons, you can go to icanw.org.au. And if you'd like to support Auntie Sue's work and the campaign to raise awareness about what's happening with the rocket testing near Sejuna in South Australia, go to the webpage documentaryaustralia.com.au forward slash project forward slash native hyphen title hyphen rockets or simply do an interweb search for native title rockets and do jump online and support that fundraiser if you can. The Radioactive Show is produced in the studios of 3CR Community Radio in Fitzroy, Victoria with the support of the Friends of the Earth's ACE Nuclear Free Collective and broadcast nationally thanks to the Community Radio Network. Thanks so much for listening and join us again next week for more news and views on nuclear peace and energy issues. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.